0: Latest on President Biden's ATF nominee, plus a look at gun sales numbers and an interview with David Harsani of National Review. That and more on this week's episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I made the devil run. I gave him
1: poison just
0: for fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gatowski. I'm also the founder of thereload.com. Before we begin, let me remind you that members get this episode a day early. It comes out with the member-exclusive newsletter that you also get if you are a member that you do not get if you are not a member. So head over to the website and sign up today. But let me tell you about what we're going to be discussing this week on the show. First, uh, I'll give you a little bit of news update about where things stand with President Biden's ATF nomination. Um, the latest developments in that story, which has really been going nonstop all week. There's been just story after story on uh, President Biden's nominee, David Shipman. Uh, and then I'll give you a little update on gun sales as well. And then we'll have uh, a nice long interview <laughs> with uh, National Review's David Harsani of uh, And I think he, he makes some really interesting points about the whole situation with David Chipman So we'll, we'll get a nice deep dive into the latest on that front. It's kind of the biggest story in uh, guns right now, at least in gun politics. And uh, the reload is really right at the center of it all. So uh, that's what I designed this place to be. Uh, it's what I designed the outlet to do is to break news stories that have a major impact. Um, and that's what we're seeing on Capitol Hill this week. But let me start off by just giving you some of the latest news on David Chipman's nomination. Um, this week we had, uh, Republicans fire back at, uh, Senate judiciary committee chairman Dick Durbin over his, um, rejection of their, uh, request for a second hearing on Chipman. Uh, Durbin had attacked the reload specifically, um, as a uh, he called it an anti gun safety website, which is really a, a rather ridiculous thing to say i've I'm the founder of the website and I am quite literally certified uh gun safety instructor so uh, I know what he's obviously trying to say, which is that uh i'm uh, that the 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 reload is uh you know against gun control, which has obviously um, gun control groups prefer now the term gun safety groups. Um, and so I guess he's calling me anti, uh, uh, you know, new gun laws or new gun restrictions. Um, and, uh, you know, as an uh, obviously a, a way of de- uh, denouncing or detracting from my reporting, he did not offer up any sort of actual um, substantive response to the reloads report on David Chipman, uh, allegedly making uh, racist remarks while he was in management at the Detroit office of the ATF, uh, back in the early two thousands. And, um, Chipman has not responded himself. The white house has not responded. Uh, there's been no statement of uh, no denial, no, nothing really from, uh, from David Shipman or uh, the White House that nominated him. But Dick Durbin called the allegations baseless um, and implied that my sources were made up, which, of course, uh, I stand 100% behind my sourcing. Um, And uh, the Republicans, uh, they have called for a second hearing, of course, and and they didn't like Durbin's response. They said that it was not... um, something that responded to the actual substantive claims made and that Durbin should uh, help them to uh, um, get the equal opportunity, uh, equal employment opportunity complaints against David Chipman released so that they could examine what's in them because that's where the dispute comes. Uh, we know that the complaints exist. Both Chipman and Durbin have said that that's the case. Uh, Chipman has said that the the complaints were resolved without um, any sort of punishment, but obviously that doesn't necessarily mean that um, he didn't make racially insensitive comments um, or that he didn't do anything wrong. We don't know for sure because we don't have the full story. All we know is that these complaints exist and that there are agents, current and former agents who um, were aware of these complaints before news of them broke publicly. Uh, which obviously implies that the the story itself is not um, completely fabricated. Uh, Instead, it's likely uh, that there's a dispute between whoever made the complaint and Chipman himself, and uh, obviously the Reload has not uh, been able to confirm the validity of the complaints, we just know what uh, has been reported to this point, what we've reported. So, if you want to read more on that, the complaints and the the situation that this is all stemming from, you should go check it out on on the dot com. But um, this week, Republicans responded. They, it's a bit odd to be at the center of a fight between um, senators on the capital on Capitol Hill in in the Judiciary Committee, where they're by name arguing over your reporting. Um, Republicans cited, you know, CNN, Jake Tapper, who was a early subscriber and supporter of the reload um, and my reporting um, as evidence that uh, I'm a credible reporter, uh, which is, uh, I guess that's nice to hear. Uh, I certainly think that the reporting stands on its own merits um, and my history, my decade long history of reporting in, in DC and on national, you know, gun politics speaks for itself, but, but, um, obviously I appreciate the support that I've gotten from a number of, of uh, major media reporters like Tapper and, um, Jane Koston of the New York Times and, and, uh, several, several other ones. Um, uh, and <laughs> it's still very odd to be, uh, obviously in the middle of this whole firestorm, um, for reporting what sources, Told me Obviously, I can't reveal their their names. They're concerned about retaliation were Chipman to become the director. Those, to me, are legitimate concerns. And so I agreed to allow them to speak um, without identifying them by name for those reasons, you know, because they could have their lives upended were, uh, you know, their names to get out. And if they don't want to be, if they don't want to take that risk, then I respect their decision on that front. Um, I, I would always prefer for every source to be on record, but that's obviously not realistic, uh, all the time because sometimes speaking on the record can be detrimental to a person's, uh, livelihood or, or even their life, not in this situation, obviously, but in, in other situations dealing with, you know, criminal activity, but regardless, uh, that's the latest on Chipman. We'll get into a little more of it with, uh, David uh, from from National Review in, in a moment here, but I also wanted to take a minute to just update you on the latest with the uh, uh, the gun sales numbers. We we saw um, just recently two major gun companies report their earnings uh, with Ruger um, and Winchester uh, under the Olin Corporation uh, umbrella, and their their profits and sales are through the roof, which is a bit surprising. Um, you saw nearly a hundred percent profit increase for Ruger um, both in the period between um, January and June and the period between um, April and June. When you compare 2021 to 2020, you see nearly a hundred percent increase in their profits, which is really kind of shocking because We've actually seen fewer FBI background checks on ga- gun sales, which is how people usually gauge how many gun sales there have been in a given time period. And so, obviously, 2020, we saw this huge influx of new gun owners and uh, all-time record gun sales. But now, in 2021, you're you're seeing those uh, numbers slow down a bit on the FBI side of things, the background check side of things. But – Ruger and Winchester are both seeing remarkable increases in their profit margins, well, in their, in their gross profit uh, and their sales over that time period. So um, obviously the market is still extremely strong for guns and ammunition. Winchester uh, under Olin mostly sells ammunition. But um, there hasn't been a slowdown, at least for the, some of these big, the biggest brands out there, in sales, even though perhaps overall we're starting to see a new trend where 2021's monthly numbers are ju- are second place to 2020, um, given all of the motivating factors that were involved in in 2020's uh, all-time records. But I still I still find it fascinating that these uh, major publicly traded companies like Ruger and and Winchester um because mo- most gun companies are are smaller and, and privately owned so you don't get to see the details of their uh books necessarily like you do with Ruger and Winchester and Smith & Wesson uh the the publicly traded companies but these numbers were frankly pretty surprising to me um but that's the latest on on gun sales so you can read more over at the reload uh certainly have a uh detailed look at the, the actual sales numbers and and profits there. So, and maybe some of the potential motivating factors, obviously politics plays a large role oftentimes in, uh, the number of guns sold. Uh, but clearly we've also seen concern for personal safety, uh, is another issue that, um, drives sales or the concern about policing really one way or the other, whether you're concerned that there's not enough police on the streets, or if you're concerned that the police are biased against you, those are both reasons that people buy guns. Um, And so that was a big part of the 2020 uh, increase in sales. You had rioting, but you also had uh, obviously obviously accusations of um, racial bias against police that drove minorities to buy guns. So, uh, there was quite a lot going on last year, and that's, some of that has obviously carried over into this year. Maybe some of the political side has been heightened um, with President Biden winning the election and attempting to institute a number of uh, gun control policies really through executive action um, and trying to ins- install a gun control activist in, in David Chipman as the head of the ATF. That uh, The gun industry at the very least says that that's likely part of what's driving gun sales. And, uh, you know, that could certainly be the case. Uh, but I have more on that over at the reload. And in addition, there's also a member's piece where I look at the very latest on David Shipman's nomination, uh, including a number of gun control groups now coming out publicly to attack the white house for not doing enough to get him confirmed and how everything that's happened, uh, and you know, the response to it, how that all plays out in terms of the likelihood that he'll be confirmed. So you can head over and read that. It's a members only piece, but I think there's a lot of insight there. You know, I wrote back in May, what was the likelihood then? And then I wrote uh, just a few weeks ago, what, what's the likelihood now that his nomination has dragged out for a while. And now with everything that's going on, what are, what are the real odds that he gets in? So, if you're interested in my insight on that area, you should uh, head over and check that out. Uh, and if you're a member, you've got to be a member, of course. Again, comes with lots of perks. So uh, this is the only ad for this whole podcast is that you go buy a membership. The Reload is 100% reader funded uh, and does not take ad money from anyone else or any other kind of contract deals with that that are off, you know, out of view. It's 100% funded by... Readers. So that's the only ad pitch you're going to get throughout this entire podcast. But now we're going to head over to the segment where I talk to uh, David about David. (laughs) So enjoy that one. All right. We're here with uh, David Harsani of the National Review. He's a senior writer over there. David, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for any of the listeners who might not know who you are?
1: Well, I'm a. uh senior writer at National Review. I've been here since 2019. Before that, I was one of the um, original senior editors of The Federalist you know, starting in 2013. And before that, you know, I had numerous jobs. Um, but for a long time, I was a uh, a columnist at the Denver Post. So that's basically my professional resume.
0: Right. And you've also, you're also an author as well, right?
1: Yeah, I've written uh, a few books and one called First Freedom, which is about uh, sort of a, a history of gun culture in the United States. Um, I wrote that in 2018.
0: Yeah. And so you've done a lot of writing, obviously, about about guns or else it would be probably a little weird for you to be on the
1: show. But, yeah, it's uh, an interest of mine, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You've been around. You've been writing about this. Uh, and uh, today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about David um, Chipman's nomination to run the ATF. Uh there's been a lot of news with this lately, and, uh, you know, the Reload has been sort of at the center of a lot of it. So uh, we, we talked about this sa- similar topic with Cam Edwards last week from Bearing Arms, uh, but we've had some new developments this week that I think are relevant and, and worth talking about. And I wanted to bring on somebody else who also has good insight into the political world when it comes to uh, uh, guns and, and what's going on in, in Washington, D.C. So that's why I thought of you um, over at National Review. You know, you've, you've written a lot on the topic, so uh, I figured you would be a really good guest for this. Um, and I guess we could maybe try to get people up to speed uh, a little bit on what's happened since last week. Obviously, we had the um, allegations that David Chipman has made racist remarks in the past when he worked at ATF. That was uh, corroborated by um, sources that I found and, and published a week ago that, that the these stories exist and that, uh, in addition, there are complaints against him filed uh, with the Equal Employment Opportunity uh, Division over there. And um, those are under seal. shipman has admitted they exist, but uh, they haven't been released. And we don't know the details contained within those complaints other than what these allegations are. Uh, now, that created, uh, obviously, a bit of a stir in D.C. Republicans on the Judiciary Committee want a new hearing to investigate this. Um but we had uh, Dick Durbin respond to that request from Republicans and essentially say no, uh, and then uh, effectively attacked me and, and the Reload as um, an anti-gun safety website, uh, which is part of, I guess, like a cabal to to try and uh, block Chipman by the gun lobby and, and so forth. But uh, I think he called me far, far right, um, which if anyone who's listened to this podcast before i think uh, you know you can judge for yourself on the content that i put out but uh so right now we've, we've got the senate judiciary chairman dick durbin saying they will not do a new hearing didn't uh, um, say anything about it releasing the complaints uh he, he also admitted that they exist but again uh didn't call for their release um and then you had Uh, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said um, on Wednesday that the White House is effectively standing behind him um, and and his nomination. Uh, But you also had Politico report that uh, Angus King of Maine is sort of the uh, leading opposition, I guess, internally inside the Democratic Party against his confirmation that he's already told the White House that he would not vote for him. Uh, although apparently the White House still believes he's perhaps uh, persuadable, so um, and then you you also had there was kind of a lot with with Chipman has gone on uh, recently, but you also had him. Uh, uh, there were seven retired agents who came out um, and and said that they did not want to see him confirmed because they didn't believe he had the temperament to run the agency and that his history of gun control advocacy could be detrimental to. Uh, the the agency carrying out its mission which is similar complaints to the ones that i had published uh by agents last week um and then you also had um uh, it turns out that Chipman forgot to include a, a media appearance he had done on chinese state television um while uh, while he was working for one of the gun control groups back in 2012 the end of 2012 um and and so he didn't disclose that where he was supposed to on his um, uh, application. I guess I'm sure, the, the, the I'm sure it lot.
1: was an innocent oversight.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> there's been a lot. A lot has happened. There's a lot going on with the Chipman nomination. I just wanted to get your take on on the whole situation now, where it, where it stands and where you think it's going.
1: Well, I guess I'd start with saying that uh, it makes sense that Democrats don't want to bring him back in front of a committee because he was just awful when he appeared in front of a Senate committee at first. In fact, I think didn't they fold they folded in his um his testimony with another nominee so that the senators would only have, I think 5 minutes of questioning and he Yeah. Yeah, really they actually had well.
0: him alongside like four other nominees. So oh, yeah, it was yeah, kind yeah. of like yeah. a, a, a you know, a very quick hearing that he got.
1: He's sort of a, uh, snarky and sarcastic sometimes. I think that doesn't play very well. I mean, I mean, I think it's fine uh, when you're a uh, activist as he he was for many years. That works fine on TV, but it doesn't exactly work with senators. Um, and I should say, you know, personally, I think that clearly he's not temperamentally, uh, you know, a good fit for this kind of job. But also professionally, I don't really understand what what in his resume. Uh, lifts him to this sort of position. And, uh, you know, ideologically as well, you know, I mean, he's, he's been an activist for a long time. It's the only reason he's, he's there. Um, His mockery of gun owners, I think uh, is, is something you don't want in, in a law enforcement, you know, see from a law enforcement official who needs to work not only with gun owner, legal, you know, gun owners, but also, you know, gun owning, you know, groups that deal with gun owners, hunting, whatever, you know, whatever, whoever the ATF deals with. So I think there's all of that to consider. Um, But mostly, I'll be honest with you. And and obviously, then there's all of the things that you've reported, which, you know, if it were a Republican, you know, nominee for for a law enforcement agency, you you better believe that they would want to see that documentation. And really, there's no reason not to. So, um, but my main problem with him is ideological. I mean, I think he's essentially a radical anti-gun nut think he wants to ban guns in common use. He doesn't believe, I don't, you know, despite what he said, um, during a Senate hearing that he, uh, he believes Heller, you know, codifies the right individual right of gun owners. I I just don't believe he believes that he works for organizations that don't believe that. Um, so he doesn't believe in the law. Right. So I I just don't think that's the right person listen. You're going to get someone I think who is antagonistic towards, you know, from, from, you know, from a, the gun gun owner view is going to be somewhat antagonistic to what most Second Amendment advocates like, but I think that this is just far too, too much for for even moderate Democrats. I mean, I'm not sure we know where where Mansion's going to go on it. So, or even cinema, I don't think. So maybe we. I don't remember if she's chimed in, but so obviously, it's just not the right guy um, for all those reasons when you're looking at it from a gun ownership perspective. I think.
0: Yeah. Um... Cinema hasn't, I don't believe, taken a public position yet. Um, But so from your point of view, do you think that he's still likely to get through the confirmation? I mean, the White House is definitely still pushing him. Um, I guess they're scheduling meetings, according to Politico, uh, with Angus King, uh, you know, to meet with a a number of gun control activists and and gun violence survivors uh, to try and – flip his position to a yes? Um, Do you think they'll be successful? How how do you see this playing out based on, you know, how some of these other nominees have gone uh, for Biden up to this point?
1: I don't know. I ain't making predictions, but uh, I think he's definitely flippable, you know, with some emotionalism and some some victims. I'm not demeaning what victims go through, but that has nothing to do with the things that David Chipman wants to do with gun owners. But um, that can work. You know, he hasn't publicly said it's just been reported, so he can still uh, change his Mm -hmm. mind. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't, I I could see it going either way. I think they want to sit on it for a while and just slowly, I mean, there's no rush. Isn't this only the second, I think, Senate confirmed ATF director ever, if he goes through, right? So, um, they probably feel they can sit on it a while and and it, and if they need to, it helps them bring up the gun issue, God forbid, another mass shooting, whatever, they can push it then. So I think that's probably how they view this. There's other things on the agenda that's more important to them. Um, but I think, you know, so I, hopefully people keep the pressure on. Obviously, you're doing a lot of reporting. I, there was also another story, I think, where he was on TV a few years back. Uh, I wrote about this, you know, saying that you know, the First Amendment keeps getting in the way of helping us deal with violent gun owners, stuff like that. So he's not a big fan of other constitutional amendments either. I think that that's not surprising, considering his, you know, somewhat, of, at least from my perspective, authoritarian outlook on the world. But, um, he uh, so I think if that kind of pressure continues and more things come forward or someone leaks what what the things he said to you or someone else, even though it doesn't seem like mainstream media is at all interested in pursuing that angle, um, then it could sink his nomination. But but you never know.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. He's in a he's in an odd place. I, I think your take is actually pretty accurate that they don't feel necessarily rushed by this. And while King has apparently told the White House. In private, that he won't vote for Chipman, he hasn't said so publicly, like you just mentioned. And I think that does generally indicate he that he doesn't want to go out on a limb to try and block Chipman. Um, and if something changed, now right now you're in the middle of this uh, of a number of negative stories for for David Chipman that have come out all at once, um, and and so. If he doesn't say no publicly at this point, you know, maybe he'll – maybe he just will wait until there's something, like you said, perhaps a, a mass shooting would be one example uh, of something that could create new urgency towards uh, uh, confirming an ATF director, even if there's really no connection between the two things. Um, as we often see with, with gun um, gun politics debates in this country, they're not – Usually, the motivation to enact new uh, laws is is comes after some sort of tragedy, even if the tragedy has nothing to do with whatever the new laws are, um, or in this case, a, a new ATF director. Um, and, and certainly, there hasn't been a Senate confirmed. There's only ever been one Senate confirmed director since they made this a Senate confirmable position, because it didn't it didn't used to be, and. So the agency's been dealing with acting directors for most of the time that there's been a Senate confirmable um, ATF director position, and that is one of the arguments for why Chipman should be, uh, I guess, pushed through f- from the Democratic point of view. Um, certainly a lot of the agents who've come to speak out against him want a confirmed director, and I, I honestly think that if Biden – ditched chipman for somebody just a little bit less controversial. Um, he could probably get them through fairly easily. Uh, like the current acting director, uh, Robinson, he could probably get him through very quickly and easily because he's not, he doesn't have this association with, uh, gun control groups, even though he's not necessarily somebody that the ag- the industry, uh, would, would view as, you know, one of their guys or whatever. Um, but the the I guess the issue with that is, like, picking someone like Chipman with his background and the, with the fact that he literally still works as a paid gun control activist for uh, Giffords, the whole point of that is to send a political message, right? I mean, uh, you don't do that because you think Chipman is a good uh, manager or, or something along those lines. Uh, You do that to send a political message to your political allies that, you know, look, we're going to we're on your side here. We're going to reward you for supporting us in the last election or whatever it may be. So um, it's hard to. So at some level, even though Biden could easily get a director confirmed, um, it would be a big political loss for them to pull Chipman, right?
1: Yeah. No, I think that's all right. I think that they're projecting with him uh, activism, right? Because uh, uh, directors have a lot of power to basically do rulemaking and to decide where they focus their attentions and essentially legislate from there, right? And Mm -hmm. because Biden can't actually pass any gun legislation that he wants, uh, all he has are executive actions. Or you know executive orders and the ability of, of ATF and others to to have new regimes that are are, are stricter in whatever ways uh, they want to be. So right. this is absolutely and because he can't do anything about guns, and he knows he's going to take a hit there for not doing something. David Chipman helps him say, "Look, I, you know this is an issue I care about, and I'm going to you know make changes." Um, losing it is bad for him. I mean, but every time there's a scalp like this, I always worry that the next person will just be worse, perhaps more quiet, less known. Maybe they didn't work for gun control organizations, but I don't expect that whoever replaces David Chipman, if he's replaced as the nominee, will be any any much better than him. But I think it's worth sending a message. If you're pro a pro-gun person, it's worth sending the message that you, you know, that uh it's worth taking down someone like this because uh you, you're 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 populating your administration with activists and it's just another or maybe the worst of all this is it right so um it's it's worth it but i don't think that it, policy wise it's going to make much of a difference either way right
0: uh I, that's an interesting question right i mean uh would would chipman have a, a, an effect on policy that somebody like Uh, the current acting director uh, Robinson wouldn't. I mean, I think that if you listen to the ATF agents who've spoken out about him, they, they, I think they believe that he, that there would be a significant difference between those, those two kinds of nominees. Um, I mean, I, you know, he certainly could try to put up another openly like open activist, like, like Chipman, uh, or he could try to find someone who's quietly, I guess, uh, in favor of trying to push the limits of what the ATF can do on its own uh, tradition tells me that you're,
1: you're once you lose if you lose a battle like this you're usually your next person isn't going to be as high profile because you're going to want to get them through you don't want you don't want mm-hmm. it. I mean it, it helps them with their look Republicans are obstructionists you know but, but that argument isn't as um, powerful when you have a, a Democrat which is what's going to yeah. happen here stopping them so yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to say, uh, as, as you you know, with these sorts of things. But uh, Chipman, Chipman, another problem with Chipman, though, is that he isn't quiet. So I feel like he'll be on news, you know, kind of pushing lawmakers towards certain directions, giving that, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like he'd be more involved in ways beyond law enforcement that would be, at least, you know, from my view, not the sort of thing I want uh, law enforcement to be involved in. Um, but he... Let's be honest, he's kind of uniquely unlikable when when you see him up there. I, I don't know what it is. I hate to say this. I mean, it's not sort of aesthetic quality he has or something like that, but he's kind of snide and a bit of a jerk, right? When you watch him in interviews, the way he mocked gun owners, um... Numerous times as zombies, I forget what he said, but uh, I'm sure that someone more professional, who's been in leader, actual real, real life leader, leadership positions, would be a better nominee simply because they would just be more polished and 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 uh, have less of a history that you can hang on. him.
0: Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see who they would, what they would try to do if they can't get Chipman through, uh, because I, I'm sure uh, that we. I feel like we're probably going to see that happen. I could be So wrong. you
1: you don't think he's going to uh, make it after all? I,
0: I think it's very hard to imagine a scenario where you, where they get all fifty Democrats to vote for him. Um,
1: see, I think King is waiting for company, right? Like he doesn't want to be the one to stop him. I think he's waiting for Mansion or someone to come out publicly. Well, that's if, the if, thing. If the reporting is true
0: yeah I mean that's the thing. none of them have come out publicly, but there there's at least three, maybe four or five who who haven't said they will vote for well there's at least f- like five who haven't said they will vote for him at this point. Uh, I think you kind of assume that that maybe Sima probably would or uh, uh, I forget who the other the, the, I, I kind of think it comes down to the three of mansion tester and and uh, King. And that, with a, like, with a lot of things uh, that you've seen Democrats put forth, uh, most there, there's probably even more than that who don't really want to vote for him. Um, I think it says something as someone, well.
1: Sorry to interrupt. I think it says something as well that the moderate Republicans aren't voting for him. I mean, typically yes. these sorts of nominees go through rather easily. The Collins will usually go for it, etc. But having them say no. Uh, I think, says to moderate Democrats that perhaps, you know, it's not the sort of person you're going to want hung on you when the next election comes around. But, you
0: know, I think that is a big tell, frankly, that every single Republican is publicly a no already on Chipman um, and that every member of the Judiciary Committee that's a Republican wants a second hearing because that includes people like, you know, Ben. Yeah. Yes. uh, It's Cruz and. And Cotton are on there, but it's also like Grassley and Sass, who are not uh, who are much more moderate members. Yeah. And they're usually and,
1: institutionalists who think that the right. president should get his guy or, or gal. And um, for them to to do this I think I think does show that there's probably less support than people think for, for Chipman. So Yeah,
0: I, that's that's how I would view it too. And and it just seems like <sighs> Uh, having a couple of Zoom calls with the gun control groups, like unless Angus King is just kind of an idiot, right? I mean, uh, like, does he does he not realize that they all support him already? Like, what is it? What's going to be said in there? And that's going to change this. his mind.
1: Well, he's not no. Well, I don't want to say that, but you yeah. know, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe he is susceptible to that sort of thing. Maybe, um, but.
0: But, I mean, I'm sure he's already heard all of that by yeah. now. Like, it's not like Chipman just got nominated. He's already gone through the hearings. Everyone, like, it's not, I don't, I don't know. I just, to me, it just seems like if he's still saying no now, I don't think a couple of Zoom meetings with, with the gun control groups or whoever they bring out to talk to him are going to change his mind. It just doesn't, like, usually politicians don't make decisions based off of, like, they woke up one day and somebody made a really good argument to them. Uh, it's usually the politics of yeah, it that, yeah. that really matters.
1: Especially, I just don't, I just don't, I don't
0: see that changing.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And Manchin I mean, West Virginia has got to have a super high rate of gun ownership. I don't know what it is, but it has to be one of the top gun owning states or at least um, I don't, actually, I don't know that, that for a fact, but it's got to be up there. It's just hard for to see him going for it. Um, Montana. I assume that gun ownership levels there are through the roof, too. Especially
0: with re-election coming up.
1: Exactly. So now you're going to have a guy who wants to uh, not just, I believe he just doesn't, he wants to retroactively sort of ban AR-15s. I mean, he wants to collect them. He wants to confiscate them from people, or he said so in the past. I think he's changed on that. Uh, I mean to run commercial, you know, run ads that you voted for a guy who wants to come to your house to take your your AR fifteen in Montana. I just it's hard to uh, believe that anyone's going to want that or West Virginia. So um, if King is is a no and he's already told people he's a no, that probably indicates that there are other no's, as you mentioned. Yeah. so I I don't see it. I mean, I, and also I hope, I hope that you know that reporting's right because the guy's just a disaster.
0: Yeah, I mean he's already mentioning names for replacements and i feel like that's he is? according to one of my sources yeah uh so politico reported that he had this meeting with the white house right that uh where he told them he's a no um on chipman and i had a source who told me the same thing uh independent of that uh, you know before that politico report came out and my source also said that he'd been he brought up two names the current acting director and the forming actor former acting director back from 2019 i think his name is uh branson, i believe and um uh, tom branson and so like if, if if that's true and king is out there pu- putting out replacements names to be considered it's just uh it's it's certainly not impossible that he would change his mind i don't think i don't want to make it seem like this is a Uh, guaranteed deal that Chipman is not going to get through um, because I do think that the strategy you spoke of earlier where the white house, the white house can wait. There's no, like the ATF has an acting director already right now. Um, He's, he can serve for up to a year so they can just wait around. Um, Although I do feel like the longer you wait in DC, the harder it becomes to do something uh, whether it's, confirm a nominee or pass a bill or whatever uh without you know significant changes um and there, you can't change chipman he's he is who he is but yeah, you know um, what could
1: happen though um the infrastructure bill or the reconciliation bill has a new highway you know in maine yeah named the king superhighway or something and then yeah you, you can know. get stuff
0: like that 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 would make sense as far as like some sort of political dealing going on to get the vote for on Shipment if if the White House wants to put that kind of political capital behind getting him through, because it probably take a lot.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's that important to them, frankly.
0: I don't know. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. Like it's it's like the big thing that says maybe he still got a chance is that they aren't publicly saying because when uh, there's been one nominee that's failed so far, right? Um, the woman from um, the Center for American Progress, right, uh, who was big you know, a trash talker on social media. And that caused a lot of problems with senators who she'd previously attacked. Um, and there's almost a more personal, uh, <laughs> bent to that one. Um, but I believe in that case, um, Manchin actually came out and publicly said he wouldn't vote for, her, uh, which doomed her nomination. So.
1: Yeah. I that mean, worse ever. people than Chipman have gotten through Kristen Clark. Um, you know, that woman who, um, who's uh, in charge of sort of uh, rolling back due process rights in colleges. Her name escapes me. Um, so it's weird. I think this is just more politically loaded for people in, in, in purple states or, or Democrats in red states than, than those nominations where it's a little, you know, it's, it's about legality and, you know, things that aren't cultural issues, I guess, like guns sort of are so I think that's what sort of separates this a bit. And also again, you know, just that the guy has been out there, uh, you know, mocking gun owners and stuff is really probably offended or easily offends uh, gun owners. So, um, and also, cause he's kind of a, kind of a, you know, cause he is an authoritarian. <laughs> so to they stress that occasionally,
0: but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where we'll have to wait and see until, unless, uh, a senator comes out and specific. A Democrat comes out and specifically says they're publicly they're not going to vote for him. That's probably what it'll be is a waiting a waiting game. And they do, in theory, have plenty of time. But I think as the midterms approach, you get less and less likely to see big votes like this actually get made. So, that's, that's um, there's some there's some time constraint there. I think uh, people people often o- underestimate how much. Uh, really overestimating how much time there is to actually move on some of these things, given the way that Congress, their schedule is actually packed and how much more perilous becomes to pass things right before an election, regardless of what the thing is.
1: Well, also I'm happy there's a delay because he's not in the job, right? I mean, if, if he loses a year and gets through, it's fine. I mean, he's lost a year of doing damage, um, to the second amendment. So, um, that's fine as well. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a battle worth fighting. I don't think that, but just to, we've been talking about Democrats a lot. I don't think there's any downside of Republicans obstructing his nomination at all. Mm. Um, you know, which, which Senator is going to lose votes because he's stopping a guy who wants to confiscate, you know, semi-automatic rifles. No, nope, not one, I assume.
0: That's a good point. Uh, you know, there hasn't been much talk about that uh, the other way. Like, is there a political risk for Republicans to try and block this? I mean, the, I guess the White House is trying to um, pin all of this on them, um, but I, I haven't even seen any of the like um, liberal outlets try and try and make the argument that blocking Chipman would be, you know, detrimental to Republicans in the midterm. So it's that's interesting uh, point to bring up, I think. But I,
1: I don't think gun uh, opposing strict uh gun control laws that have ever hurt republicans in in virtually any state and uh, i mean i know people tell me that it does but i've never actually seen it happen um i think that there's just usually after uh, one of these horrific shootings there's a big upswing in the polls and everyone points to the polls people want to do things but really when you get down to it they don't want to do most don't want to do the things that you know the, the democrats want to do so um, there's just this let's do something kind of vibe going out there. But in the end, um, the laws themselves are, you know, universal background check, this, that. It's just not popular in red states and it's just not going to get done. So that's why Chipman exists in, as an activist. And that's why Chipman exists as a nominee.
0: What do you think of the, the media coverage of this so far, especially the most recent developments? Uh, you know,
1: Did you uh, see the Washington Post editorial? Um, on this <laughs> that didn't even mention, I believe, any of your reporting. Um, no, it
0: did. Yeah. It, so the Washington Post came out with an editorial in support of David Chipman, uh, I believe, on Tuesday. And it was uh, – there wasn't really much to it. It's just basically like it was fairly child childish if I had to be completely honest in how I read the the thing. Like it's – it's I, I, you know, I, I, th- I as a reporter, I think it's always – um, important to distinguish between the editorial side of an operation and the, re- the reporting side, but it's more uh, and more difficult and I, to
1: do, but yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and um, I think a lot of editorial boards are, are pretty lowest common denominator of whatever their readership is at that point. So it's not necessarily surprising that the post this, but it was basically just a piece that said Chipman good gun owners, bad. That's the whole thing.
1: Well, it made me laugh that they were talking about the, you know, super ultra sensitive, the sensitivities of gun owners were, were, were hurt. And basically that's the reason they didn't want shipment as if they're so stupid. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think having the person who's in charge of gun, gun law, enforcing gun laws, mocking, um, Gun owners who go through background checks and, and, and do the things they're supposed to do is, is, is a problem. But, I mean, it was a lot more than that. And they didn't mention any of the ideological problems. They didn't mention any of the um, – they said something stupid about how you don't need an AR-15 to hunt, as if that's uh, something that has anything to do with Heller or the Second Amendment. And it just showed, as you say, that they didn't really understand the issue at all. And, you know, I don't think – and having been on an editorial board for a number of years, I can I think that you're correct in your assessment of the type of people who write for them. Um, and I think at the Washington Post, it's especially true.
0: Yeah, I just felt like there wasn't really much of an actual persuasive argument in there. It was basically written for people who already agree with the Washington Post editorial board's position that shipment should be confirmed. It actually felt it felt odd in its timing because it came out as the negative stories about Chipman were, were coming out, but it didn't respond to any of them or even mention them. Um, yeah, it
1: could be that an administration official called someone at the Washington Post at, at, the, at the board and said, listen, we need some backup. I'm serious. I mean, it's just a guess, but that, that's what it felt like because it was a, <laughs> sort of a broad defense of him without you know any kind of rebuttal on, on any specific thing that you reported. Right. The idea that the Washington Post, who says we, uh, you know, democracy dies in darkness, doesn't even mention that the government is hiding, uh, you know, accusations of racism, uh, you know, against a nominee for, for a top law enforcement job is just preposterous. There's zero way they would do this in any with any other president, not just Trump, but Bush or any any Republican. So it it just made it was it was pretty weak.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to look at the circumstances and think that they would have done the same thing with the Republican nominee. It's just, you know, does, I mean, the main question that I came away with after reading that editorial was, you know, th- does the Washington post editorial board even care whether or not the allegations that he made racist remarks are true? The
1: is answer that is not no. something we should know? The answer is no, they don't care. Um, they don't care. And they want him there because he is an activist, and they want him there because they, he w- they want him to do the things that we're talking about, um, that he would do, you know, strict enforcement in certain ways that undermine uh, and inhibit gun ownership for law-abiding citizens. And that's what they want, because th- then why would you throw in all kinds of throwaway lines about, um, you know, how the Second Amendment doesn't protect AR-15s if, if you don't actually want him in there, making it harder for people to own them? Um, you know, and scaremongering about ghost guns or, or whatever. You know, sometimes I forget what they were t- talking about. But yeah, they do not care, and that's fine. We know what they're about. But the problem for me is, and the reason your site exists, is that there's no one at that newspaper who understands guns at all. The person who wrote that editorial knows nothing about the Second Amendment, knows nothing about Heller, probably knows has never even met a you know someone who, who shoots guns or anything. You know, a gun owner. It's certainly not, you know, a gun owner themselves. So, um, which is crazy because maybe forty percent of households have a gun in them. So you would think that the nation's leading newspaper in the capital of the country would have one editorialist who understood the who understood the issue to some extent, but they do not.
0: Yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that. I think, but as you know, as a reporter, and, and I mentioned this earlier like i I tend to make distinctions between the editorial side of papers and the the reporting side and and look more favorably on the reporting side in in, in a lot of cases but i I would say that the lack of follow-up to my my story has been disappointing uh at, at best the politico did mention it in their piece to their credit but it doesn't appear that anyone is other than me uh, at the reload, has even asked the senators who are on the fence about Chipman about these allegations. Like it doesn't it doesn't appear that anyone has asked the White House about them other than myself, and I like I just can't imagine that happening if Chipman was a, a Trump nominee or a uh, Bush nominee or whatever. It, it's just you know I, I try to have a um, forgiving view of the situation with most reporters and guns uh, and gun coverage because, uh, you know, like uh, I I think most reporters try to do their job as best they can. And that a lot of the mistakes made in on the reporting side of, you know, media mistakes on guns boils down to to ignorance, uh, which is obviously still a problem, but it's a different problem than. You know, uh, just pure um, animosity towards guns, like you see with a lot of the editorial side things.
1: It's because you're a nice guy and you're a reporter and you're forgiving. But I have to tell you, I think there's a corruption within media. And I'm not saying that everyone who reports about guns makes these mistakes on purpose, but I think that there's an ideological prism that everyone looks through. And they're not, the problem isn't that they are writing from a left wing perspective, which I think is most often the case. And when I was young, it wasn't even like guns were a left or right wing issue. It was a little bit different. It was more like a rural urban issue, kind of. But anyway, now it's I think fair to say left wing issue. It's not just that they look through a prism from the of the left. It's that they're in. They're not curious to know know about it at all. They don't. How often do they? I mean, maybe they do, but how often do they actually call someone who knows what they're talking about? Um, Very rarely. They just find some quote they like. They they like imbue the whole thing with emotion. Um, rather than facts, when it comes to guns, and there's a there's a place for that, of course, to tell stories of victims and things like that. But I'm just saying in general. So I think that you, you know it's kind of you to think of them that way. But I think in most large papers, there's just no curiosity. Editors don't care. Reporters don't care. They're anti-gun. They don't have any um, life experience with them most most often. Um, and listen, I grew up I grew up in an area where no one had guns, and I, I even even though I was pro Second Amendment, I thought gun you know people who like guns a lot were nuts, right? I mean, it wasn't until I moved to Colorado where I met these people and I saw how like diligent they were and how much they cared about safety and how they were not a bunch of slack-jawed yahoos, you know, on pickup trucks shooting you know, automatic rifles into the air. Uh, they're nothing like that, vast majority of gun owners. But I think that the normal urban reporter does, still thinks that, right? And that's, you know, it's there in their reporting. Yeah, you
0: know, I, I, I think there's like a default that – is you know, maybe not as extreme as you're describing it. I don't know that I agree completely that, that, that they're all, that the default is that uh, extreme. But I do think that that kind of thinking exists uh, to a lower level as like the default characteristic for a lot of reporters at major media outlets that they, they don't have like an active opinion on guns, but this is what everyone around them thinks and so their base level is very much uh misinformed about firearms and then also about why people own them and like them, and so they're much more likely to just repeat certain you know talking points from the gun control groups or whatever or repeat common misconceptions without um, doing the due diligence to understand the issue that they're reporting about and I think a lot of this tends to stem from the fact that we don't really have gun reporters in the United States at, at major media outlets. Like you mentioned earlier, there's actually more than 40% of the country report having uh, a gun in their home. Uh, But we don't have anyone outside of like the reload uh, where I started my own entire publication dedicated to this, who is actually on the gun beat as a reporter at a major outlet. They don't, they're just really, doesn't exist anyone like that. Um, and it's odd because every outlet has labor reporters, right? Probably multiple labor, labor reporters, which is makes sense because it's an important part of society, but labor households make up like 7% of the country. Now they have a lot of political power, but you know, it's just an odd thing. That's a industry wide problem. Um,
1: Okay. Can I give you a quick example of how this prism like totally skews the news recently? Um, so Chipman's losing, it looks like. So a bunch of newspaper reporters, write, Even with the NRA, you know, in trouble and lacking its power, somehow Chipman is still in trouble. Like they, they've, they're, they've internalized this idea that the gun lobby, not gun owners, but the gun lobby has all this money and power and, and, you know, that, uh, Ted Cruz only votes for gun stuff because the NRA is going to say something bad about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the NRA coming out against you is not, a you know, is not helpful politically in many places, but the NRA is only powerful because of gun owners, because there's many gun owners. And if the NRA goes away, another organization will come. And I, in my opinion, they'll probably be more aggressive than the NRA, which hasn't been as aggressive as people think, especially on the legal end. Um, and and will replace them, but they've been they've internalized this idea that there's just big gun money, and you know, it's it's not like that, and um, and uh, and that's how they report it, and it was just so funny reading it. Instead of coming to the determination that actually there are tons of gun owners in this country who don't like Dave Chipman, they came to the determination that it must be some other group, you know, some other group, the um. To call the NSSF, is that right?
0: yeah, NSSF. yeah, NSSF? Yeah, it's, it's got to be some
1: other powerful group, you know, stopping it, and they just simply can't come to terms with the idea that a bunch of people in this country, you know, like their guns and just don't want government in- interfering with that right. Anyway.
0: Yeah, I think that's an astute observation about uh, some one of the common misconceptions that gets pushed around by by uh, uh, media people. Whether uh, I think. Oftentimes that's the talking head types, but you do see it in reporting, you know, hard news reporting as well. And it is pretty ridiculous because it's just like literally just boils down to this thing I don't like can't be popular. It must be uh, because powerful people are buying off the the politicians like that.
1: Yeah, and they do that with a lot of things. Obviously, see right? that. Yeah, they do that with a lot of things because they don't want to attack gun owners themselves. They want to say the NRA is a terrorist organization or whatever they say. And uh, then it's, you know, so many politicians stand up and go, I won't, you know, bend to the NRA. (laughs) It's it's the least brave thing you could say. The NRA, no one likes the NRA in New York or, I mean, you know, in, in any urban area. It's not like Hillary Clinton is losing a vote because she stands up to the NRA. And what does that even mean? It doesn't even mean anything. Um, but anyway, you know, that's off topic yeah. a bit. But
0: No, I think, I think that's a, a very good point um, about these misconceptions that flourish due to really just ignorance. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of such a simplistic point, like, argument that you see made about it's. This is the easy way out of any time some, uh, something you support isn't as popular as you wish it was. You just point to nefarious forces keeping it down. Because the people all agree with me, it's you know the money,
1: got to money, dark, is, dark money.
0: But uh, yeah, you see that a lot with the NRA and the, I did. I will say though that I, it was nice to see the National Shooting Sports Foundation get some get some credit for once because everyone's always called the, the simplistic argument has always been that the NRA is the gun lobby, but the NRA, the gun industry has an actual lobby. <laughs> That's what yeah. NSSF is. They're the trade group. For the gun industry like they represent the industry and they've always lived under uh the nra shadow probably preferably i'm sure they would rather things
1: be they that seem way. a little more active lately politically you know but uh, sure well they've
0: always been pretty, yeah, pretty yeah, pl- politically yeah. active but they, they do a uh, good
1: job of providing information i mean it just is what it is and but and they make no you know there's no they're not hiding their agenda right, right. they're the gun lobby but but you're right i yeah. just
0: always thought it was funny that the, N- the NRA gets credit for being the gun lobby when they, the, there is a real gun lobby. Yeah, that's like, true. it exists. That's true. It's not this. Uh, you know, they don't. They can't buy DC. That you know, even the, the NRA is the biggest spender in political campaigns. But even they compel in comparison to like the vast majority of other big spenders in oh, political. Oh my God! Campaigns.
1: They don't. I, I made this point a few months ago. But Bloomberg, in his bid for the presidency, spent more than the NRA has spent in like a decade trying yeah. to win the presidency. I mean. The NRA spends some money. I mean, it, it matters, I think, probably to local candidates, you know, sure. maybe some congressional candidates, but it's certainly nothing compared to the, to any, any major lobby that you can name. I mean, it's just right. always been overdone. Always. Yeah.
0: It's funny too, because it, it only benefits two people or two groups, which one is uh, the, you know, gun control act, advocates who have to explain why their policies aren't as popular as they always say that they are. Right. I mean, it, even in Maine, they they had a ballot initiative for universal background checks at one point, which in 2016, and that lost at the ballot. There's no there's no, uh, you know, politicians holding back the vote there. It just wasn't as popular as the polling indicates it is. Um, and so it benefits them because they can just say, well, our policies really are that popular. They're just undercut by uh, the NRA being so you know, buying everybody off. And then the other group, ironically, that it benefits is the NRA? No,
1: <laughs> because that's absolutely right.
0: Yeah, because then they're viewed as like the ultimate power in D.C. When that's not really true. Like, uh, you know, I, I always want to. You have to be careful not to like totally undercut what they do uh, actually yeah. accomplish, because they are a, 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 a still a very relevant and an influential group. But they're not this like monolith that can just do anything they want and control all the politicians with their big. Uh, checking checking account. That's well. Not, you know. They are
1: they are all powerful. If you listen to them, Josh Marshall said a few <laughs> weeks ago that uh, you know the NRA invented the individual right of gun ownership. They just concocted out of the blue with all their big dark money. I mean, this is just you know. Again, yeah. I'm not to mention my book again, but whatever. I mean, I you know the history in the history. The history of the Second Amendment, there is not a single person anywhere in the founding or before the founding or after the founding until maybe the 1930s that ever thought of gun ownership as anything but an individual right. No one ever argued any other way. But Josh Marshall can blame the NRA, which yeah. wasn't even involved in politics until maybe 1977 in any real way, right. for preventing this right. So um, it's an easy it's an easy and lazy way to argue and and so yeah it's very useful and it makes the nra it probably feels not good for the nra to think that they're powerful enough to invent an amendment that's the
0: ironic thing about it is that in the end it benefits the nra by making them seem much more influential and powerful than they are are in reality even though in reality they are still uh you know influential in their own right but yeah that's just one of the funny sort of ironies about these simplistic arguments you hear but but um I just, you know, to me, I was just a – I try my best to give the benefit of the doubt to uh, other reporters. And I do my best to, uh, you know, offer uh, education when they want it or advice on stories or whatever. Um, and they do uh, – I've had a lot of reporters take me up on that. So, I, you know, I don't want to under undersell, you know, the idea that there are reporters who really genuinely want to learn more about it an issue that when they write about it, Uh, I think a lot of good reporters out there want to do that. I just, you know, it's more like you look at the media landscape and you look at the responses to these stories. And, uh, you know, maybe that, maybe it's just sour grapes on my part. I don't know. But when, when I saw the how everything unfolded last week with, uh, you know, the corroborating these allegations of racism against a major uh, nominee for, uh, to run a a federal agency, uh, which got no coverage at all, not a single outlet cover that until politico linked to it in their report um and then you know no follow-up and then that caused actual action on the on the hill the republicans the entire republican caucus on this the senate judiciary committee wants a new hearing specifically because of this story by name they say that mitch mcconnell the minority leader says that the the nominee should be withdrawn which i don't think he's I mean, I could be wrong. Obviously, Republicans generally oppose all of the nominations that Biden has put forth, but I don't think that he's done that with another nominee. And and none of this received coverage from anyone outside of conservative media or Fox News uh, until this Politico report, which is really uh, also not about any of that. It's kind of just a follow-up of Angus King. It's good reporting, um, but it's a follow-up about the story that they'd been covering in major media, which is just that these Democrats are on the fence and everyone's done that story, but which I wrote back in like May (laughs) when, after the confirmation hearing or the early June, but
1: yeah, you don't have to be be honest. That's a good reporting because it's actually, you know, it affects something important. It's about a nominee that's up right now and that's the kind of reporting we should be getting from major outlets. But we only get that kind of deep dive when Republicans are up. It's, it yeah. just is what it is. I don't, I don't. It's hard I, to ignore. Yeah. I That's mean, there all. are plenty of, I, again, I, I, in general, I think, and I've gone, you know, I used to always say, listen, you know, people, these people see things from a certain point of view. So they're not doing it on purpose, but I've changed my mind about that. I think there's a lot of corruption. I don't mean it as in, a, in, a leg- illegality. I just mean a corrupt media landscape, um, that is partisan. And so it's difficult to to ferret out which person's good or not. But there are real reporters out there who try to do the best they can, but they're not really rewarded in the same way someone who's political is. You know what I mean? So if you have a big piece about how guns are terrible, people are going to read it. You're going to get the clicks. People are going to pat you on the back in the newsroom. And if you write a report about, eh, you know, AR-15s are only responsible for, you know, 5% of gun crimes or less, actually, then they will not pat you on the back and you will not be rewarded. So you know, that's the dynamic I think is in play and that's why they ignore your story. And, uh, I wish I, you know, I wish I, I had a, a better, you know, a more a rosier view of uh, media right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. Well, you know, I always try to stay optimistic on it and, yeah. and try not to paint with too broad a brush, but you know, when you, old, when, old when the cranky, pattern is like so, this, yeah, I get old and yeah. I get
1: cranky and uh, <laughs> it's hard to be positive at this point, but I mean, yeah. you know, that's a, listen, you're, uh, I'm a, you know, I'm a columnist, whatever, and you're a reporter right so you know i think that it's it's fine for you to and it's a good thing that you make yourself available to reporters and if people reach out to you i think that that's a positive and uh, you know things change right so maybe uh, things will get better in, in the media moving forward but i haven't seen maybe. Any clues
0: we'll see we'll see i don't this to this particular directly. one doesn't uh, you know engender a lot of hope obviously this this instance but but uh, you know i i remain uh, Hopeful and open to helping anyone else who wants to learn and they don't have to adopt whatever personal opinions i have about sure. uh, the gun issue like that that's never a requirement of someone you know me talking to somebody about uh, you know the issue or just explaining the gun laws as they are and there's because there's just a lot of misconceptions even within uh, the people who write about this stuff unfortunately and it's, it remains and 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 it builds. uh, yeah, um, I mean,
1: people attack me when I say you should know something about, you should know the difference between a semi-automatic and an automatic gun, right, let's say. So they attack you like, what do we need to know everything about a law to be against it? Or, you know, do we need to know, you know, we need to be scientists to have an opinion on COVID and things like that? No, but if you're going to literally want to pass laws that have to do with the mechanics of a gun, you should have some basic knowledge of how they work. I mean, literally the laws that you want to pass about the mechanics of a gun. So um, if you want to tell me that you want to ban assault weapons, you should know the difference between an, you know, a, a, an actual weapon of war and an AR-15. But, um, but most of these reporters, I just don't, or many of these reporters, at least, I just don't think care enough to look more deeply into that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think I made well, up on that issue.
0: <laughs> um, why don't you tell us a little bit about where people can find you and uh, your writing?
1: Um, most of my writings at uh, National Review, so National Review Online. Um, occasionally, I write for the New York Post and some other outlets. And you can follow me on Twitter at David Harsani, one word.
0: Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your your point of view on this. Uh, I think you're one of, the, one of the best gun writers out there, one of the best gun columnists. Thank you. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your perspective with us. Keep
1: up the great work.
0: <laughs> thank you. All right, that is it for this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I would encourage you once again to go and buy a membership at the Reload to get early access to the to the podcast and then also exclusive access to posts like my most recent one looking at how likely it is David Shipman will actually be confirmed after all these things have come out uh, in the last two weeks. So make sure you head over to the Reload, and I will see you guys again
1: I made the devil run. I gave him poison just for fun. I had one friend, now there's none. I made the devil run. I broke so many bones,
0: but none of them were ever my own.